You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. Welcome to Conversations and Meditations. This is I'm your host Virgil Eriks, and uh, today is uh, March 17th, 2018. Happy St. Patty's Day! And I want to get started by talking about a few different things, and I kind of want to break the show up into a few different segments. Um, the first segment I'd like to talk about the show uh, in detail. I'd like to get into the mission and vision statement of the show. I'd also like to read you uh, my bio and kind of introduce uh, myself to, to the audience and to everybody out there. Um, the second progress of the show, I want to go into the principles that I have and I hold and the way I'm going to be coming at these conversations. Now, these are not the conversa- this is not the principles of the whole show. This is just the principles of myself. And you know, segment three of the show, I just want to go into detail about what I hope the show will become and what I hope it can be and kind of give you a um, – a better understanding of uh, the show itself. So first, I'd like to get to the uh, mission statement. Excuse me. Uh, mission, our approach through both humor and facts is meant to disarm common controversies of today. We present to you conversations and meditations, a thought experiment to help explore ideas, worldviews, and emotions that make us human. Through this exploration, we hope that you as a listener are able to solidify your convictions according to empirical evidence, logic, reason, and facts. We believe in inquiring the truth. If our convictions aren't congruent with the facts and fails the test of skepticism, then we must change our worldview in accordance with the evidence in hopes of remaining intellectually and emotionally honest with ourselves, our loved ones, and our audience. Our goal is uh, is to focus on the facts, articulate what is meaningful, and encourage you to seek the truth and find wisdom for the betterment of your character. We want to open a dialogue with our audience and encourage the search for truth. We hold this truth to be self-evident, and that is the only true wisdom is knowing is in knowing that you know nothing. Through this declaration of humility, we can then pursue knowledge wholeheartedly, passionately, and effectively. And onto our vision, our hopes for this endeavor is to be able to confidently stand in our convictions after a tremendous amount of research and reasoning. We want to be able to help influence others in their goals to not only educate themselves on the issues, but also be able to work on bettering themselves uh, for their rational self-interest. We hope that this can become a community for all of us to share our opinions issues with one another in order to find the truth in the world of falsehoods and narratives. We also want to create a place where people from all kinds of beliefs and political and philosophical backgrounds can come together and join the battle of ideas, and at the end of the day, the best ideals will rise to the top. So that's kind of a quick understanding of what the show is and what our, what our main mission and vision for the show entails. And uh, now I would like to get into my bio and uh, – to talk to you about that. So my uh, name is Virgil Variks, as I said earlier. I'm 25 years old. I'm from suburban Michigan. I'm culturally Catholic, but I've been an atheist since 2014. And I would consider myself uh, politically classical liberal or libertarian. Um, and you know, as long as I can remember, I've always been hungry for the truth. I've wanted answers to big questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Why do I, what do I actually believe in? What is my purpose? When I was younger, I thought the truth was our, what our parents, priests, and teachers told us. The truth to me at the time was what the church taught me, what society said was true. Good and evil was a religious concept rather than a philosophical and psychological concept. When, these, when things were bad, I was told to pray. When things were good, I was told to pray. Things are different now, and the only thing I know is that the truth I seek can only be attained through reason, logic, and evidence. The reason truth is so important to me is because truth ultimately is a tool. 
It is the best tool to develop a stable worldview based in reality, self-esteem, and a meaningful life. I'm a 25-year-old male who's ethnically Chaldean, a Catholic minority from Iraq, and I'm from suburban Michigan, like I mentioned earlier. Chaldeans are a religious subset of Assyrian peoples, which is an ethno-religious group that originates from northern Iraq, southeastern Turkey, northwestern Iran, and northwestern Syria. All Assyrian peoples are of the Christian faith, while some follow the Church of the East, others follow Church of the West. I was raised as a Catholic, and religion was an essential part of my upbringing and my worldview during my younger years. The Assyrian-Chaldean culture is heavily intertwined with the church and also leads to collectivism. It is a, it's great when it comes to the group and the family, but not so great when you're trying to find yourself and individuate. Growing up, I was never encouraged to question everything. Really, I was never encouraged to question anything of consequence. Now I question everything from my assumptions. Uh, excuse me. Now I encourage everything and my assumptions as often as I can in order to remain intellectually and emotionally honest with myself and my loved ones. My chosen name is Virgil Varix. I chose Virgil for two reasons. First, I love the historical Roman poet Virgil, his contribution to poetry, Roman mythology, and the story of how Rome came to be. Second, I also love his character in The, uh, the Divine Comedy, which is an epic poem written by Dante Alighieri in 1320. In the book, Virgil's representation is the main reason why I chose his name as my pseudonym. Virgil in The Divine Comedy is a personification of human reason and classical wisdom. To me, reason is one of, if not the most important values that we have as a species. Through this virtue, all other virtues manifest themselves through the work of an individual. Reason isn't something that can be done automatically. It must be a chosen state of being. Reason requires deliberate thought and consideration focused through the lens of honesty. Classical wisdom was also very influential in my life. Classical wisdom, known as the collective works of philosophers, writers, historians, and thinkers in ancient Greece and Roman times, collectively known as Greco-Roman or classical antiquity. I have been an avid reader of Greco-Roman philosophers such as Aristotle, Marcus Aurelius, Seneca, Epictetus, Plato, uh, and their work has helped me understand things about myself, the world, and human nature. The wisdom of the ancient world, particularly the classic antiquity, are the foundations to Western civilization and our world at large. Their writings have influenced intellectuals from all over the world who believe different things and participate in various disciplines. As Virgil represented these two things in Divine Comedy, I hope to meet this example of reason and classical wisdom as best as I can. I chose the last name Verix, which is Latin for speaking the truth or truthful. I chose this name because I want to hold myself to a high standard of speaking as truthfully as I possibly can on my convictions and the important issues facing us today in our chaotic world. Truthful speech is, in my opinion, one of the most powerful tools we have as a species. It can bring us together in times of need. It can change the society and culture. And it can be a reality check for those who need it. The powerful of truthful speech is in direct opposition to sophists and authoritarians. This is why oppressive regimes around the world take the freedom of speech away from their populace. Throughout my life, I struggled with identity, faith, political, psychological, and philosophical issues. One day I told myself that I needed answers, and the only way I'd ever get to understanding the truth is if I started using reason in my life and in my thought process. You know, there was a tremendous amount of pain you know, at this time with cognitive dissonance. I was, you know, at this, you know, this time I was done with magical thinking. I was fed up with being a slave to my emotions rather than master of them. For a long time I was lost, but yet through the darkness I found myself and I was able to develop, in a more, develop into a more caring, honest, and balanced individual. I hope through my writing and podcasting I can help others vanquish the cognitive dissonance in their thoughts, help them take control of their minds again, and help them find the tools necessary in order to accomplish their goals. I hope that th I hope that they can look for the truth no matter how hard or difficult that may be. It'll require us to face the facts of life and to overcome adversity that is preventing us from evolving into the best version of ourselves. I hope through this podcast and writing I can become a more virtuous person. I can learn more about the world, other people, their ideas, and ultimately myself. Finally, I hope I can, you know, develop and develop the confidence to continue to stand on my convictions, to continue to check my assumptions and to be honest to myself and to others. I hope I can help you achieve this confidence as well on the journey to find meaning in, in the world and in your life. And, you know, to, to kind of get into, you know, that's, that's who I am. That's, that's my story. Um, it's not obviously not a complete story. It's not a full story, but that's who I am and what I, those are my experiences. And my experiences have built me into the person I am today, all the good, all the bad, 
all those things have come together to make the person I am. And what we have to do as people is realize, okay, well, I have to take the good, understand the good, you know, why it happened. Was I doing the right things? Was I doing the wrong things? Okay, I see why this worked out. But if, you know, you got to also take the bad and understand that, you know, a lot of the bad things in life aren't your fault. A lot of the bad things in life are not in your control. And, you know, as I said earlier, reading the Stoics, one thing they say is, you know, you have to differentiate between the things that are in your control and the things not in your control. And, and to me, that's the, the difference between worrying and caring. So I can worry about somebody who's, you know, hurting themselves. You know, I, mean, I could, but at that time, I'm implying that I have, you know, some say in it. I can do something to change it. Yes, I can make, I can say something, I can talk to the person, but I can't make the choices for the person themselves. So there's a, I can, worrying at that moment isn't optimal because it causes a lot of stress and anxiety. So rather, I tend to make the differentiation in my brain and I say, I care about that person. And that's how I kind of, you know, separate those two things and make it more concrete in my, uh, in my mind. Um, to get more into some of the principles that I have um, and what, what I want to portray on the show, at least coming from me, and uh, these don't this doesn't speak for any contributor to the show, or these are just my uh, principles and values that I hold. So, the first principle I like to talk about is reason. And when it comes to reason, I would say reason is the core value, the core principle, because it is the only way us as human beings can understand things, understand the reality around us. I mean, most people will agree that reality is real and this is not a simulation and we're not in the matrix. Uh, this is the real world. And, you know, in order to move around the real world, the best way to do that is to use your reasoning and your argumentation and your understanding and your comprehension skills to get yourself there into a, to a new level and to a better level in your life. So reasoning all the way from, you know, knowing what to do in the moment versus knowing what to do long term, reasoning will be your main tool and your main guide. And reasoning tends to overflow and, you know, it, it'll, it, it facilitates the ability to let the rest of virtues exist. So reasoning is the foundation of that. And um, the next uh, principle I have is uh, an ancient Greek word called eudaimonia or eudaimonia. And that basically means human flourishing. And uh, the Nicomachean Ethics, which is Aristotle's uh, book on ethics, says that everyone agrees that human flourishing is the best good, and the highest good for human beings. But you know, many people disagree. Like, what kind of life do you have to live to have this human flourishing, this great life? So you know, obviously, having a, a life that's flourishing is, is desirable. And you know, living well to a lot of people can mean a lot of different things. So we have to be more accurate when we speak about these things so we can understand it. So to me, eudaimonia, living well, human flourishing is doing what is in your uh, rational self-interest. And I'll get into that uh, a little later and I will uh, talk about that. But that's pretty much what I have to say about eudaimonia. And uh, under the third principle, individualism, um, I'm an individualist. I, my culture is uh, very collectivist. Uh, and I've over the years I've changed and had differences of opinion on certain things and I've come to realize that individualism is the way to go and basically it means the only individuals make choices and are responsible for their responsible for their actions. So you know groups don't make choices, people in those groups make choices. So that's kind of the way I look at you know the social fabric of, uh, of our world and um, to kind of give a, a more concrete and interesting perspective on this, one that I uh, find fascinating is a quote from Ayn Rand on an individual. And it says, the mind is an, an, an attribute of the individual. There is no such thing as a collective brain. There is no such thing as a collective thought. An agreement reached by a group of men is only com uh, compromises of an average drawn upon many individual thoughts. It is a secondary consequence. The primary act the process of reason must be performed by each man alone. We can divide a man among many men. We cannot digest in a collective stomach. No man can have his lungs breathe for another man. No man can use his brain to think for another. All the functions and the spirits are private. All the, yeah, all the functions, uh, functions of the body and spirit are private. They cannot be shared or transferred. We inherit the products of the thoughts of other men. We inherit the wheel. We, in we make the cart. 
the cart becomes an automobile. The automobile becomes an airplane. But all through the process that we receive from others is only the end product of their thinking. Moving for, the moving force is the creative faculty, which takes this product as material, uses it, originates the next step. The crea- this creative uh, faculty cannot be given or received, shared or borrowed. It belongs to a single individual man. That which, is, which creates is the property of, of the creator. Men learn from one another, but all learning is done in exchange of material. No man can give another man the capacity to think, yet the capacity is our only means of survival. So, you know, to kind of – she was a Russian uh, author who escaped uh, communist Russia and came to America and wrote the novel Atlas Shrugged and a few other books. And she started the objectivist movement. Um, but anyways, she, uh, right there, I think that kind of solidifies what I think about individualism and its contribution. Yes, people work collectively and contribute to society and towards the world, but all those things are, you know, conglomerates and groups of people's ideas put together, individuals coming together with their ideas to make things like you're seeing now with uh, the space race and new other, other new technologies and genetics and stuff like that. These are all groups of individuals coming together and applying their knowledge and applying their skills in a place to make something and make you know themselves obviously wealthy but make the world a better place. Um, so self-interest. I mentioned self-interest earlier. Self-interest is the idea that whatever I'm doing in my life currently right now has to be for my self-interest. Now, what do I mean by self-interest? I don't mean my self-desires. I have to make another distinction here. Uh, self-interest entails what is good for me. So what is good for me might not be the best thing in the moment. I might have to make sacrifices. I might have to stay at work extra long, you know, to get that, you know, fatter paycheck. I might have to be honest with somebody and risk my relationship with them in order to tell them how I feel about something. So being self-interested means being honest to yourself and it means doing things that will encourage eudaimonia. It will encourage human flourishing. And the thing that will encourage human flourishing is looking at your life and saying, okay, what is going to make my life overall better? What is going to make me succeed? What is going to make me, um, you know, achieve things that I dreamed of? You know, and the answer to that is not partying and having a good time. That's a self-desire. You know, everybody just wants to, you know, party and have a good time all, you know, a lot of the time and not really have to worry about responsibilities and duties that they have. But when you actually think about what's going to make your life better, you have to look at your self-interest and it has to be done rationally by using your reason. So that's what I think about self-interest and I think that's a you know, core principle for myself as well. Um, number five, individual rights. So when it comes to individual rights, you know, because individuals are moral agents, they have the right to, secure, to be secure in their life, liberty and property. Um, the rights are not granted by society or some body or some government. They're inherent to the nature of human beings. You know, it's part of the human condition. Individual rights, it's uh, the burden of, you know, having responsibilities and the burden of, you know, having the rights at the same time. They go together and they, they're hand in hand. So um, there's no necessarily in my in my worldview, there's no such thing as group rights. There's individual rights and if individuals want to come together, they can assemble and, you know, come up with a common cause that can, they can go and talk about. But I, I, I truly believe that rights are individual and service, you know, um, the small, you know, another quote, it's really great. It's the smallest minority on earth is the individual. Those who deny individual rights cannot claim to be a defender of minorities. And I, I truly believe that because when it comes to a group um, like myself, uh, an ethno-religious minority in this country, and you know, I am an individual in that group that disagrees with almost, you know, ninety ninety-five percent of people in that group about a lot of different things. You know, being in a being in a group and identifying as as a group doesn't allow me to have, right? You know, doesn't allow me to have any individuation, and you know. If if you have to you have to respect the individual person within groups to understand because the differences between individuals within groups versus groups alone is 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 more drastic than anybody can imagine. You know, and the next thing is um, freedom of speech. Number six, uh, it's the next principle. You know, I disapprove of what you say, but I will defend your death. Uh, I'll defend to the death your right to say it. Uh, this quote has 
a lot of times been misattributed to Voltaire. I think it was written by uh, Evelyn Beatrice um, in the book, in the biography, The Life of Voltaire. And um, it was supposed to, you know, conceptualize Voltaire's beliefs, but it's it's important to understand the importance of that statement because if you have to understand both parts and both parts are, are quintessential to what free speech is, you know, so it's important to, you know, understand that accusations that criticism is equal to shutting them down, you know, that's not true, you know, at the same time. So criticism is not equal to shutting them down. And on the other hand, you know, it doesn't avoid it doesn't avoid the thing that the the um the problem that, you know, when people start defending unpleasant speech, people automatically assume that you agree with it. And you know, I completely disagree with all forms of unpleasant speech that are meant to hurt and are hateful and are designed to make people feel a certain way about themselves and about the world and about their circumstance. So yes, I completely disagree with all all forms of hate speech and I think the people who who expose those types of things are evil and uh, at their core um, if they truly believe these things and they truly espouse these things. And I can get into that later but – um, it's it's super important to understand that you know if I can say something and it's sensible and if someone comes into power and says well you know I don't like what he's saying so I have to stop him from speaking the same thing goes for things that you think are apprehend you know horrible and apprehensible and just terrible you have to defend the right of speaking in general rather than speech that we like so it will require us to. Be tolerant. You know that's another one of the one of the things. And tolerant of the rule, not tolerant of the speech. Because I can hear the person and hear what they have to say, but I, I don't have to believe anything about it. I don't have to even confide in it. So that's kind of where, where that comes into play. And you know the next the next principle that I have is economic liberty and, and free markets. You know. Um, one little quick blurb about free markets and I'm not going to get involved into it. That's going to be another discussion for another time is the United Nations. I think this is in 2008 announced that global poverty or maybe it was 2010, global poverty around the world in about 30 years is halved, halved. So, you know, that's ridiculous when you when you think about this and no one talks about this because you know in mainstream media and even in a lot of alternative media people don't really focus on what's what's happening in the world and human progress they focus more on you know what ble- if it bleeds it leads you know controversy all the time versus you know talking about facts and you know mentioning these facts so you know a little blurb from the economist here you know said almost all of the fall of poverty rate should be attributed to economic growth fast growing economies in the developing world have done most of the work between 1981 and 2001, China lifted 680 million people out of poverty. 680 million people out of poverty. Since 2000, the acceleration of growth in developing countries has cut the numbers in extreme poverty down uh, – poverty outside China by 280 million. How that growth is distributed matters too. In a country where income inequality is high, each percentage point of the GDP growth will do less work than the same growth would in a more equal place. So – and equal meaning uh, a rule of government that has you know property rights, understanding for you know, individual rights, freedom of speech and stuff like this. And, and many of these countries in the developing world do not have uh, governments that can facilitate the freedom that is required and necessary for uh, – you know, economic liberty to take hold. And, you know, and, and this goes, this goes to tell you that, you know, most of the people in China 40 years ago, 50 years ago were working in, in the fields and farms. You know, now you know, they're working in factories. And yes, their conditions are not great. They're, in a lot of cases, they're horrible and they're terrible. But at the same time, you know, we have to be honest about this and look at it and say, well, the numbers are showing that more people in China are going into the middle class and leaving destitute poverty. And the same thing in India and the primary reason is because they've liberalized their, their governments and liberalized their, their economies and accepted uh, more of the um, economic policies of uh, Western nations. So that's my seventh um, principle. Eighth, secularism. You know, I believe the freedom to practice a religion or to leave one or not to be associated with one at all as long as there is no interference in the rights of individuals. I mean that's pretty much where I, where I stand. You know, when it comes to – to the rule of law, I believe you know. Obviously, I believe that 
You can do anything you want to do as long as it doesn't affect the rights of another person, you know? And, you know, the rule of law means that in that, that being said, that there is rules. You know, you can't do anything you want. There is certain things that are prohibited. So, you know, individuals are governed by, you know, legal rules. You know, they're not arbitrary commands. Uh, these rules should protect the freedoms of the individuals in the country and allow them to pursue happiness, their, their own happiness in their own way and uh, not really aim to be – to make a, a political out, – you know, a particular outcome happen you know, for said individual. So I think that's very important. Um, number 10, self-reliance. You know, one of the – one of the, my favorite books is uh, on self-reliance by uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson. And one of the main themes in that is the need for each individual to avoid conformity, false, con, you know, false consistency, and, and follow their follow their ideas, follow their instincts. You know, people have agency and should be treated with that in mind. You know, because treating yourself and other people like victims because you're, you know, uh, will cause your beliefs. Will, you know, you know, treating yourself and other people like victims will cause your beliefs to influence your expectations, your expectations to influence your results, and your results will, you know, influence your um, uh, your overall beliefs again. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So number 11, um, justice. And what I mean by justice is equality of opportunity. According to Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, equality of opportunity is a political ideal ideal that is opposed to caste hierarchy but not a hierarchy per se. The background assumption is that a society contains a hierarchy of more or less desirable superior and inferior positions or that there may be several such hierarchies. In such in, in a caste society, the assignment of individuals to place in the social hierarchy is fixed by birth. The child acquires the social status of his or her parents at least in their union if their union is socially sanctioned. Social mobility may be possible in a caste society, but the process where one is admitted to a different level of the hierarchy is open only to some individuals depending on their initial ascriptive social status. In contrast, when equality of opportunity prevails, the assignment of individuals to places in social hierarchy is determined by some form of competitive process and and all members of society are eligible to compete on equal terms. Different conceptions of equality of opportunity constitute ideas of of competing on equal terms variously. So that's kind of what I mean by justice and by opportunity of equality. Um, the next one is freedom of choice, you know, um, the ability to have, you know, freedom in, you know, to buy, you know, cable, whether to, you know, de- you know right now cable is very, very tough and very, very bad for a lot of people because you might only get one cable company out where you live or you might get two and they both are charging over – too much. So things, you know, that happen through market processes like, you know, Sling TV or YouTube TV or Hulu TV, these competitors come in and they create a creative destruction, which is a term used by um, Austrian economist Joseph Schumpeter. And it basically means that, you know, these big overbloated companies that had government influence and government help over the years, they now are being, you know, hurt and uh, their industry is being shaken by new players in the game that are coming in and bringing in a lot of interesting new developments in technology, like the ability to watch TV on your phone, on your laptop, anywhere at all. And uh, I find that to be uh, very, very important. And, you know, being the freedom of choice in that aspect of finding the best product that services you and your desires and your needs and wants in that moment, I find to be very important. And, you know, freedom of choice also to do what you want with your life, to be who you want to be, to represent what you stand for in any way you want to as long as it doesn't, you know, offend or offend the rights of other people and not, not necessarily offend but ends, you know, the rights of other people. It infringes the rights of other people. Offend isn't the right word. Um, Thirteen, freedom of association. You know, it's used to describe uh, an absolute freedom to live in a community. You know, a part of an organization whose values and culture are closely related to one's preferences. You know, and the freedom to, you know, come together to assemble Groups of individuals coming together, talking and saying, hey, we have a common goal, a common interest. We want to change things. Let's go out there together and assemble and associate. You know, and this, this freedom is, is fun, foundational and you're seeing it all over the country and all over the world, you know, where people are protesting and uh, peacefully protesting, of course. And uh, whether it's, you know, uh, getting their voice out for certain issues or getting their voice out to be heard. Um, freedom of association 
allows that to happen within a society. And I, I, it's one of my principles, and I think it's essential for a uh, Western liberal society. Spontaneous order, you know, I believe that societies arise spontaneously, you know, out of thousands of, or millions of, uh, maybe even billions of individuals who coordinate their actions with those of, you know, and others in order to achieve their purpose. So an example of this is, you know, uh, the creation of a pencil. You know, um, the wood is chopped down in one country. The rubber for the eraser is gotten in another country. The metal for the band around the eraser is get you know, in a different country. Nobody sat there and the graphite's from a different country. Nobody sat there and said, okay, we're going to essentially plan all this out and make sure a pencil gets designed. All this came to be spontaneously by individuals coming together in the form of corporations or the form of companies and saying, hey, we want to do business. We want you to supply us. Hey, at the end of the day, you know, this is called division of labor. They're able to get the best product for the cheapest quality. And then, boom, they're able to make a pencil. And that's how that works. You know, and that's all based on spontaneous order. And, you know, it's, it's done by millions of individuals all over the world working together, competing, you know, collaborating. It's all part of the spontaneous order of society. And that goes into how, you know, even even in the microcosm, talking and meeting people, you don't actively go out there to try to meet people and talk to people. Sometimes you do, but it doesn't really work out. When you go out there and just are trying to do your thing, you might just meet somebody. Why? Because spontaneous order is more genuine and more natural than you know centralized, controlled planning. You know, and uh, yeah. But the next thing is you know fifteen uh, private property and self ownership. This is important, you know, the idea of private property, like I own the things that I've worked for and bought with my money so no one can take it, no one can infringe on it, no one can steal it, no one can commit fraud. Uh, but also self-ownership. That means I own myself, I own my mind, I own my body, I own my thoughts, I own everything that is produced by me. So that entails two different things. It entails, number one, that I have to take a responsibility for everything that I do. So yes, there's some responsibility there. But it also entails that, you know, everything – it allows you to have this confidence. Everything that I am, am doing, you know, I own it. It's me. This is – it's all originating from my mind. Yes, like that quote from Ayn Rand said, everything is contributing to ideas. Everything is making and building. Everything we're, – we're all part of the zeitgeist that is building towards where we are today in the world. But, you know, self-ownership is one of the most important qualities a person can can take into their life. And an important virtue because it allows you to fully be able to take fully to be able to take to take responsibility and to take the desired action necessary to do what you think will will uh, increase your uh, flourishing. So uh, last uh, three uh, here or four um, toleration. You know the belief that one should not interfere with the thing one disapproves of. You know. Uh, if somebody comes in here and has a conversation with me and we disagree on something and they disagree with me, I should be tolerant that we we have a disagreement. That's totally fine. I'm more than happy to have disagreements with people, you know, and I, I think being tolerant of that is important. But also recognizing we cannot be tolerant of intolerance. In Western liberal societies, the most important thing we have to understand is tolerance for, you know, whether it's somebody's culture, whether it's somebody's ethnicity, whether it's somebody's race, whether it's somebody's ideas, you know, um, toleration and, you know, accepting people as, you know, hey, this is an individual and looking at people as individuals, you know, individuals, this guy has an, or this girl has an idea. I value them for who they are as a person, as an individual and their ideas. So that's what toleration means to me, you know, not interfering in that case, you know, not you know, um, not getting in a position where I want to shut down another person because we have a disagreement. It's encouraging the disagreement. It's encouraging the gridlock. It's encouraging us to go forward and, and, and to search for truth. I'm 17, peace. You know, the four major freedoms is freedom of movement, of capital, labor, people, goods and services, and a freedom, freedom of movement of ideas, you know, and that's what entails peace. Uh, historically, I mean, you can look at... Uh, Stephen Pinker's books, uh, The Better Angels of Our Nature and um, Enlightenment Now, and he has a great, great argument for, 
you know, the movement of capital and the what free markets have done and ideas have done and reasoning has done to to make our world a more peaceful and relaxing place. Um, number eighteen, limited government. You know, I, I have great app. You know, I, I'm not very happy with concentrated power. You know, Lord Acton said, "Power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely." Um, that's you know. I want to divide. I want you know power to be divided and to have and to be limited and to be decentralized. Uh, you know, especially that means limiting government. You know, and generally, generally that means through some type of you know body uh, of laws like a constitution, which would limit the power uh, that the people who are delegated to you know to govern have. So, um, and the last the last thing I like to say on my principles. Uh, is life, you know, my, my principle of life. I believe in the sanctity of life. I believe in the the wonderfulness of life and the amazing nature of it. Yes, there's a lot of suffering and a lot of malevolence in the world and in life uh, every single day. But it's understanding that, you know what, what's really important, what really makes this great is meaning, you know, finding meaning in what I'm doing right now, finding meaning in what I'm doing every single day. That is the antidote to the nastiness in life. And, you know, the main thing for me is understanding that, you know, the the nature of somebody, another individual, their life is sacred. Their life is sacred. Yes, um, that's it, it, that, you know, the, as long as they're a peaceful individual that is not, you know, harmed or hurt anybody, of course, their life is sacred and it should not be infringed upon in any type of way. So understanding that life is is uh, is sacred, and I don't. I'm not coming from a religious aspect here. I'm coming from a truly humanistic, um, secular aspect, and you know um, that's that's kind of what I think about that, and that's kind of my my take on, uh, you know, the sanctity of life, and and you know that's that's my principles. Uh, in a nutshell, those are those are my principles. And yes, do I have more? Do I want to do I want to continue to develop them? Do I want to maybe look into things and change them? Of course. Of course I do. So, you know, I just kind of want to end, you know, today to kind of talk about um what what do I want? What why do I, why am I doing this and what do I want to get out of this and what do I want this to be? You know, and originally this project was started by two friends that had hopes that their thoughts can be heard in the free market of ideas. Hopefully, some people will value our work as much as we do. And we were taught, you know, never to talk to people about religion, politics, or social issues. Why, you know? Because we were told that, so destroy our relationship with people that we, whom we might disagree with. The only thing silence brings is more confusion on where people really stand and concerning issues that we all care about. These thoughts and issues might not be on our mind all the time, but when they are on our mind, how do we handle them? Do we react with emotion or do we first try to use our reason? These days, I prefer to speak to people that I disagree with when it comes to wanting to talk about the issues. This is not because I have some selfish goal to win a discussion, uh, but to become uh, – because because I, I want to learn more about myself, the other person, and the world around us in general. You know, one of the main goals of this project is to investigate different ideas. And through these discussions, we can hope you can develop your own ideas and opinions on these important topics that we will discuss. You know, what I'd like to focus on, you know, right now is, is to talk about, you know, personal evolution, a, you know, a journey from confusion, distress, anxiety, and a life full of falsehoods. You know, my life was transformed from a life of confusion and anxiety, you know, uh, written thoughts, to one of uh, a struggle of confidence and reason. It's still a struggle. I mean, it's not perfect and that's that's what life is it's like a piece of marble and you are an artist and you have to make a masterpiece that is what life is so you go in there with hammer and chisel and just breaking that stone off you're chiseling here chiseling there making it making your masterpiece come to life and yes sometimes you might mess up and you might not be able to get the right angle on the sculpture but at the end of the day after a lot of hard work after a lot of dedication you're able to make something awesome and that's that's what i think you know, life, life is. That's what I think, you know, meaning is. You know, most of my opinions were based on unexamined beliefs and magical thinking rather than using reason, logic, and empiricism. Um, this journey was not only difficult because it required a lot of researching, but it was also emotionally challenging, you know, to find your true self. But, you know, I, I assure you, once you do, you'll never look back. One of the only things that I, I have faith in is the power of conversation and its effects on society and our lives in general. 
I believe that it's not only important but essential to have an honest discussion about topics that are either deemed politically incorrect or taboo with people we care about. The reason I believe that is important is because it is only solid, foolproof way we can come uh, we can become closer with other individuals, even other individuals we vehemently disagree with. I recommend that we should engage as long as it's respectful to the other individual and they're respectful to you. Through this stronger bond, we can help push each other in order to, into the right direction and towards the truth. My awakening came in waves over a f- for a, v- a few years. First, it began with religion, then philosophy, then eventually economics and politics. I'm still growing, and I hope this, that this conversation will aid in that process. I also hope that this conversation will allow you to find yourself and what you stand for. I hope that this conversation can give you the can help you gain the confidence to put your thoughts and beliefs to the test. And at the end of the day, you can proudly talk about your convictions to others. There's so much that we, we want to discuss and researching in the upcoming posts and podcasts, but in particular here at Conversations and Medica- at Meditations, we want to focus on a few subjects and topics that we feel are most important to discuss at this time. This doesn't mean we won't take suggestions to new or, or challenging material that I didn't mention. Um, topics include philosophy, religion, politics, psychology, art, individual freedoms, economics, culture, identity, race and ethnicity, emotions, relationships. There are multi, you know, there are multitude of reasons why I want to share my thoughts online with the entire world. These reasons have inspired me to want to be able to further explore my beliefs and opinions. I also hope to develop the confidence to talk about my convictions, not only my friends and family, but everyone. I also want to better develop my writing, argumentation skills, reading skills, and podcasting skills. There are other lessons, other lesser reasons, but I think uh, there are still important reasons, but they're not worth mentioning, to be honest. I want to join the conversation that so many other people are having on the internet regarding individual liberties, religion, philosophy, politics, economics, the myriad of other topics that are necessary to talk about in order to be able to find the honest truth regarding said topic. With this truth, we can better adjust our own action and words in the future in order to help understand the world and the people in it. The truth isn't something that can be monopolized. It isn't. You know, it, it belongs to us all. We just have to jump into the fray and challenge our own thoughts and beliefs, develop ourselves, and then after that, we must work on challenging others within our family and friend groups. The truth is something many people loathe because it directly ch- uh, challenges and eventually destroys narratives. These narratives attempt to easily explain the ever-growing complexity of our world and the events that are happening in it. But in reality, the, reality, you know, falsehoods, they're not a clear picture. They're just not a clear picture of what's really going on. Um, now more than ever, the public at large don't value the truth as much as a narrative with an easy answer. They jump to conclusions before the evidence is out, and they're more than happy to destroy a person's reputation and career as long as they get their story out that validates them. There has been an awakening online of reasonable people that are speaking honestly about the issues with respect and precision. I also wanted to better develop my convictions. I want to do further research and challenge my convictions as well. About six years ago, I had all my previous ideas and convictions challenged and eventually destroyed. My entire worldview was erased and a new one came in its place. My personal anecdote used to shape, you know, before my personal anecdotes used to shape my worldview rather than using, you know, reason to do it. My worldview wasn't the only thing to change, though. The outlook on my outlook on life, my outlook on emotions, relationships were all changed for the better. My relationship with myself is also better than it ever has been. I believe that through my challenging of my prior convictions, I was able to refine my character and my thinking. And that's still a very, very hard thing that I continue to deal with today. But that's important. It's a constant effort. Now, you know, to be honest, I'm more lucid and honest and happy than I've ever been. There are things – this is all thanks to doing the necessary work to clean my thoughts from cognitive dissonance and lies. I want this place to be a safe space for free speech and expressions of different yet equally engaging ideas. We want to join the larger conversation that is going around the internet and the world at large. And with these conversations, we'll be able to join the battle of ideas and give a perspective that we can help not only us but others. I want this to be a place on the internet for people of all types of backgrounds to come together and to have honest, meaningful discussions for the sake of bettering ourselves and the world. And, you know, this is, uh, this is honestly where I see the show going. This is where I want it to go. And, you know, this is my hopes for it. And I, I see myself continuing to do this 
for a long, long time. And I hope I can get better at, you know, achieving this goal and making it a reality. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's important because, and the reason I shared that, it's important because meaning is what combats nihilism right now. I mean, a lot of people in the world, people that I care about, people that I love, um, people that I don't even know are confronted with, you know, existential crises. You know, they have uh, a lot of different things going on in their life and they don't know how to deal with it. Some people, you know, it's it's more tangible and it's 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 right, you know, right around the corner. That's their issue or their problem. You know, other people, their issue is more esoteric and, you know, hard to understand and philosophical, you know, and trying to find meaning in life is the antidote to a, a life filled with nihilism, the, the, the absolute – and nihilism, the absolute, you know, response that, you know – we we as a as a people nothing really matters that's what nihilism means you know the that no moral principle matters you know life is meaningless you know it's it's not only skepticism and cynicism pessimism it's it's negativity it's you know but this type of thinking leads to horrible results it has in history and it has in recent events and in, in recent times um but in my my estimation, I view that nihilism is the thing that is affecting everybody today, especially people that are trying to find their way in the world and 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 to do the right thing. And you know, it might might be a fear of death. You know, and why do people? In my in my opinion, why do people really fear death? Uh, I think it's a combination of a few different things. I feel I think you know they love this experience. They love being around. So of course you fear you fear not being here tomorrow. That's that's definitely understandable. But the thing is, this fear can can turn to nihilism and can turn to a complete rejection of all moral principles and all religious principles and uh, a belief that you know life is completely meaningless. So you know it's it's understanding that this is a constant problem that we as people, we as you know humanity, are going to face. We're going to be confronted with nihilism every single time. Every single time. And, you know, it, it, it's basically saying that there's no such thing as meaningful aspects of life. You know, that's what nihilism is stating. And this worldview to me is the most dangerous worldview because it leads you to not believe in the sanctity of human life. It leads you not to believe in the, in the rights of humans and the rights of people. It leads you to be an authoritarian. It leads you to be, um, very, very violent and, and in a lot of cases uh, very dangerous. And this is the problem you're seeing with school shooters. This is the problem you're seeing with a lot of the evil around the world is this encompassing nature of nihilism, this idea that you know being is suffering, there's evil in being, yes. And on top of that, you know, I want to show the world that there is no meaning in any of this. That's what you know, the people who have this mentality really believe. And um, it's it's scary because it's hard to combat. It's hard to understand. It's hard to make any sense of it because you don't really think about this. But at the end of the day, this is the fear that a lot of people have but don't talk about. And this fear causes anxiety. It causes depression in people. I, I know people, I mean, these are obviously personal anecdotes, but I know people right now who are suffering with nihilistic, you know, thoughts. You know, the idea that life is meaningless. And my, my you know, thing to say to that is that, you know, what, what makes meaning is living a truthful and honest life that you can be proud of, that you can look at and say, wow, you know what? I really made something of my experience. I really did the right thing here. I really helped people. I went out of my way to make, you know, to make my skills and my, you know, per behavior you know, good. I didn't. I didn't go out of my way to become bitter and become resentful and and to hate everybody. I, I went out of my way to work on my personality, and that's what combats nihilism. That's what destroys the worldview of you know the nihilist. And it it, it is going to require a lot of work. I mean, I still suffer uh, with dealing with nihilism, nihilistic thoughts. I think we all do. Um, but the main thing is realizing that meaning is 
what we make it. We have to make the meaning in our life. We have to go out there and say, what is meaningful to me? What is in my self-interest? What can I do with my reasoning skills in order to figure out what is going to make my life meaningful? What is going to encourage my human flourishing? What is going to encourage my eudaimonia? To get back to one of the earlier principles I mentioned. And what that is, is, you know, your ability to find yourself, understand yourself, and to be honest with yourself. And that requires a lot of introspection and honesty that a lot of people aren't ready for. And, you know, in some cases, I'm not ready for. But most people don't make the next step forward to achieve their, their wants and their desires and their dreams and, you know, to get to their goals. And a lot of that is going to take a lot of sacrifice. And we have to be okay with understanding, you know what, if I want to graduate school and, you know, I want to become a doctor, I got to realize, okay, 10 years is going to be, you know, encompassed by this. Instead of being all sad and, you know, this is meaningless and blah, 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 and I'm not really going to enjoy my job anyways, it's saying, you know what, I should appreciate my opportunity. I should appreciate the skills I have. I should go out there and make everything of this and make some meaning, put some meaning into this, you know, and then sooner or later you're going to be in a third world country helping kids like my doctor does because he finds that to be his calling when he's not working in his office. So you can take your everyday circumstance and look at it with a nihilistic lens and, you know, continue to suffer or you can take that lens off and try to put an objective lens and look at it as honestly as you possibly can, reevaluate some things, sort yourself out in the best way possible. And that's by working on your character, your behavior, and your thoughts. Uh, and through that, you know, you'll be able to make yourself better, your community better, your family better. And if we all work on that as, you know, collectively, we'll be able to help make society better. It's, it's not going to happen this generation. It's not going to happen anytime soon. But this is something people need to do. And uh, that's, that's what I have to say about that. Mm-hmm.